0: Before we get started, I wanted to give a shout out to the sponsor of this week's episode, Who Gives a Crap. Who Gives a Crap is determined to prove that toilet paper is about more than just wiping bums. (laughs) This is so fun to get to say in an ad. Uh, They make all of their products, toilet paper, tissues, paper towels, with environmentally friendly materials, and they donate 50% of their profits to help build toilets for those in need. To date, they've donated over 1.2 million Australian dollars to charity. And for those of us in the United States, that's like $950,000 plus, something like that. And saved a heck of a lot of trees, water, and energy. Honestly, that is not too shabby for a toilet paper company. Who Gives a Crap is offering Sounds Good listeners $10 off their first order with the promo code Sounds Good to get toilet paper delivered right to your door make a difference in the world, and support this podcast, just go to org slash soundsgood and use the discount code soundsgood. One more time, that's whogivesacrap.org slash soundsgood and use the discount code soundsgood. Who gives a crap? Good for your bum, great for the world. All right, here comes the show. My guest today is no stranger to the Sounds Good family. We had Amber Ray on the podcast a little bit more than a year ago, and I absolutely loved my conversation with her. She's one of my favorite human beings. For those who don't remember or didn't hear this episode, she is an author, she's an artist, she's a speaker, and she just wrote a book about choosing wonder over worry. It's this important book that serves as an official invitation to face your fears, wake up to your truth, and get to the source of what's holding you back. It's called Choose Wonder Over Worry, and it is so good. We talked about that book before it was even fleshed out the last time she was on this podcast. And to this day, that conversation has been one of our most popular episodes. Recently, Amber and I found out that we were in the same city at the same time. It was Portland, Oregon. And so I ran over to her hotel with the notes that I'd taken while reading her book with my mic in hand and we had another really, really fun and important conversation. I'm Brandon Harvey and this is Sounds Good. This is the weekly podcast where we have conversations with inspiring people who are rejecting cynicism and using their lives to make an impact. So without any further ado, let's jump straight into this conversation.
1: How... How have you been? <laughs> <laughs> I've been, I feel like I've been the best I've ever felt in my life. Really? I feel really in my element.
0: That's incredible.
1: I feel like I'm doing the thing I was here to do.
0: Would you tell me if if you weren't feeling that way? Oh, yeah. <laughs>
1: totally. I mean... I believe it. Yeah. And it's, you know, I think the biggest realization is that this is my life's work. Yeah. Of course, there's days that are challenging. I'm, my schedule is more packed than it's ever been in my entire life. I have less time for self-care and relaxation, especially like right now on a tour where I have back-to-back interviews. But I love it. Good. And I remember reading this book so many years ago when I felt really lost and confused and sad and like no idea where my life was going, felt like everything was falling apart. And I read this book called Finding Your Own North Star by Martha Beck. Hmm. And in it, she talked about the difference between a social self and an essential self and the social self is who you show up to as the world in order to sort of belong and be accepted. And the essential self is like who your truth is. And she tells these stories about when people are living from their essential self, even if things are hard, even things are challenging, even if it's like, you know, they'll face the biggest difficulties of their life, but because they're living from their essential self, there's this sense of flow and effortlessness. Interesting. And I feel like that's what I've, tapped into.
0: And so your social self has merged into, or it's, it's shifted to be a lot more a part of your essential self.
1: Or like, it's just, I feel like, like at these events, I'm not going there trying to be something. I'm not preparing to like go to a book event. I'm just showing up and being myself. Yeah. And it feels like enough.
0: And it's cool because your book is is very vulnerable. It's really vulnerable in so many ways. Like you talk about feelings and emotions, but you also talk about sex and you know things where you're like, this is going deep into things that probably a lot of people don't know about you. Mm. So you kind of have no choice but to show up as your real <laughs> self because it's on paper. You know, you can't go back from it.
1: And I think that's what happened is that I stopped hiding from myself and I started mm. creating the things I really wanted to create and there's this feeling of liberation. And so I think yeah. what I feel right now is free. Free to myself and thus the way I'm showing up to the world and at these events is this sense of freedom.
0: And that's probably not <laughs> it's probably not an easy thing to get <laughs> to that point.
1: Well that I was going to say it was like everything was hard until the book <laughs> came out. <laughs>
0: that's that's really it's remarkable though because You've had a successful career doing a number of things. You've worked for Apple. We were just talking about how you worked for Kate Spade. You worked for Seth Godin. You launched some of the you know most popular books that we've all heard of. And for a lot of people, they would say that's like she's doing everything that she is has ever wanted to do. And I love that those were just merely stepping stones Mm -hmm. towards, you know, not only making this book, but like becoming a more healthy whole person Mm -hmm. and to understand yourself. And I think it's really clear in the book and and even just from knowing you that uh, you've been like doing the work and then writing about it. Mm -hmm. And I'm just loving it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's so interesting because when I decided to leave like the tech world, there was this, this feeling that I knew was possible. And I didn't know how to describe the feeling. I just knew it was a feeling that I would know. It's almost like when people tell you, oh, when you meet your person, the person you're supposed to be with, you'll just know. Yeah. Which I was like, that's so annoying. <laughs> Until I like met Farhad and I was like, oh. <laughs> and I feel that way about, you know, about work where it's like, I felt like for so long, I was hustling for approval, trying to prove myself, um, just wanting to, you know, be something in the eyes of other people. And that motivated a lot of my career choices or decision-making. And then I would be doing that thing or I would get there and I'd be like, damn, this doesn't feel how I Mm -hmm. thought. So it's like this chase, this chase, this chase. And I feel like the process of this book has been, been about a journey going home. and so I feel like so at home with myself and that's and I guess that's the feeling that I was looking for all along yeah this sense of home and I couldn't find it when I was trying to show everyone how great I was
0: one of my favorite things about your book was just this idea of like diving into more of our emotions more Mm. fully you and I I think are really similar in the way that if we could just like turn on autopilot on our lives I think that we would naturally navigate to just talking about joy and like <laughs> the positive, happy, good, good stuff. Yeah. And uh, something I've learned a lot from you is this idea of of diving deep into all of the other feelings. Yeah. And uh, they feel like unknown territory, <laughs> but it's beautiful. Like you, I remember in your book, you're talking about anger, and you're talking about how how it has the opportunity to fuel you in a positive way. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, you know, just thinking about things like that has has been really mind shifting for me. How do you feel like people's reception? Is, I mean, the book is is only, you know, a, a few weeks old. Mm-hmm. Um, but have people been responding to, you know, this idea of like diving deeper into your emotions so far?
1: Yeah. And, th- you know, honestly, I was afraid of yeah. that. I was like, did I go too dark?
0: Mm. Because
1: if you open the table of contents, it's like meet shame, <laughs> meet anxiety, meet perfectionism, meet imposter syndrome. And I was like, am I going to terrify people instead of saying like from imposter syndrome to, you know, whatever it is, or from (laughs) like, you know, from shame to compassion or like, you know, I wasn't putting a positive spin on it, but I did that really intentionally because, you know, for a long time I was a Mm positivity-aholic where I pushed away the the trickier or quote unquote darker. Sometimes people love to enable them negative emotions and that limited the joy I was able to access in my life. And so, my journey has really been about how do I turn toward and become friends with all of me and embrace all of me and understand what these emotions are trying to teach me. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, emotions are messengers and they come here and they're like, hi. Sometimes they're going to be really loud or really annoying or really nervous or really anxious because I'm here and I have a message for you. Yeah. And so, so much of the work for me has been about like, how do I wonder? Yeah. How do I. Um, become curious? How do I have compassion for those emotions and understand their messages? So like anger, I love anger because anger says, hey, this is not okay. A boundary has been crossed. And so I'm going to be your really loud friend that's like, hey, let me just show you that this isn't okay so that you pay attention. Mm. Or envy. I think envy is a really powerful indicator of inspiration in disguise yeah so like if i'm scrolling through social media i remember like like timothy goodman and jessica walsh it was always their work i I was like (laughs) they like now they did a book and now they bought the rights for the movie and it was like all of these i was like i love their work so much and it it would um trigger envy in me Mm. and at first i was like that's annoying and then i was like no actually that's amazing because they're pointing to untapped potential within me yeah so it's like it's more of how do we and no one i don't feel like i don't know about you i never learned like how to understand what these emotions are no, trying to tell me. I,
0: <laughs> I, I remember when my therapist brought it up, like I was like mad at him, <laughs> but I wish that they taught this in school.
1: Yeah, totally. Man. And really that's, that's part of my, I think, eventual mission is like, it's emotional literacy and mastery. Like how yeah. do we understand the messages of our emotions? How do we work with them? Because, you know, it's it, really, it's about having the relationship with the emotion. People always say to me like, well, how do I make my fear go away? And it's the emotion isn't the issue to look at. It's the relationship with the emotion.
0: Mm. Let's dive into that a little bit more because that's interesting. How would, how would somebody who you know, is feeling and experiencing fear in their lives and they have an unhealthy relationship with it, how would they move towards building a healthier relationship?
1: I think that the first step is to notice that you have an unhealthy relationship and that might look like trying to repress it, numb it through social media, you know, a few extra drinks to take the edge off, like whatever, you know, desire to numb, push away or like, I'm going to crush the fear. I want it to like completely get rid of it in my life. Yeah. You know, so I think first identifying that. And then the next step is a willingness to turn toward it. So a big part of my work is let's dialogue with our emotions. And so that can be as simple as like, hey, fear. I see you. What is it that you want me to know? Why are you here? Why are you visiting me?
0: And, and oftentimes you can almost do that through writing, right? Yeah. that's the main, Is that the main way you do it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So journaling. So often I'll be like, hey, fear, why are you here? And, you know, the thing about fear is that we've evolved as a species with this threat mechanism system in our brain. The amygdala in our brain, anytime we are in danger, it triggers the fight or flight response. And so that's our fear response because fear is here to say, hey, I want to keep you safe because I want you to survive. But the problem is, is that anytime we're doing something novel, meaningful, interesting, something new that's never been done before, that's unknown. And fear and worry, they hate the unknown because they can't predict what's going to happen. And so that triggers the part of our brain that says danger. And so, so often when we feel fear, it's because we're moving in the direction of meaningful growth mm-hmm. and we're moving towards something that we care about. And so, so long as it's not like I'm standing near the edge of a mountain and I want to like leap off and like, you know, that's yeah. when fear is going like, honey back off that's
0: when fear is doing (laughs) its actual like biological historical job
1: (laughs) yeah but if i'm like i want to write a book and i'm terrified of course i'm terrified
0: Yeah, it's not gonna hurt you it's not
1: gonna hurt me but like our brain doesn't know the difference yeah. And so that's where we can say fear. Oh, of course I'm afraid of writing this book. Of course I'm afraid of rejection. Of course I'm, a, you know, afraid it's going to be terrible and I'm not going to be able to finish it and it's not going to be good enough and whatever else other stories that I, you know, that I have, my voice doesn't matter, all those things. Of course that's coming up because it's telling me how much I care.
0: It's interesting too because your book talks about on a few points the journey of writing the book, because <laughs> that's a difficult thing to do. And, and it sounds like in some ways for years, you kind of ignored that call to, mm-hmm. to put all of this on paper. And so of course there's going to be a, a, a sense of resistance in the process of actually bringing this thing to life. And, but it's important. And that's why you're getting that resistance.
1: Yeah. If we don't have resistance, I don't think it's what we're doing is, you know, challenging us, pushing yeah. us, helping us to grow. And so, you know, and we usually, the way that we respond to anything is there's either a, I hate to say positive or negative, but there's, there's a response, either something's neutral or not neutral. Mm. If it's neutral, it's not for us. If it's not neutral, as if it has a charge, let's say something triggers us, that's actually, there's like, if there's a trigger, we can get curious about it. Because it's like, okay, why am I triggered by this? Why is this upsetting me? There's something there for us to learn. Or if there's like an overwhelming desire and call, that also is illuminating something for us as well.
0: That's good. I like that idea a lot. Something else that you kind of talked about in your book that I thought was really interesting was this idea of of suffering. In fact, mm. I might have even written down this, this quote. You basically said that suffering isn't the only way to find success and to create. And I feel like in many ways, <laughs> you can listen to this podcast and it almost misconstrued that. And, you know, not this episode, but just... All of our episodes, I feel like we've had a lot of guests who have shared stories of here's the heartbreak and pain I've experienced. Mm. Here's the difficult things I've gone through. And, and I've questioned this, I think, out loud on the podcast a few times. Should I be steering into suffering? Should I be putting myself in harm's way? Yeah. You know, not physically, but in, in all kinds of other ways so that I have a story to tell, so that mm, I have mm-hmm, uh, a, mm-hmm. an, an experience that makes me a more full human? And you say, no.
1: Well... Here's what I think. And let me tell a story to illustrate this. I once sat down with a musician who told me, I only date women who are going to hurt me because then I have good songs to write. (laughs) And I was like, that's interesting. Are you sure that's the only way that you can write music? And he was so convinced that the only way he could write music is through heartbreak. And, you know, I think suffering is a part of life, like people die, painful things happen, things we can't control, like suffering happens no matter what suffering is, you know, with with death comes birth. It's, it's, you know, part of the cycle of life. What I'm saying is like, let's not seek out suffering for the sake of suffering. Because there's so much suffering. There's
0: enough of it to go around. There's enough of it
1: to go around. And, you know, and this really came, my my dad was a brilliant artist, singer, songwriter, businessman. He was like multi-talented, but he was also an addict and he was very much the heir of sex, drugs, rock and roll. Hmm. And he really created so much unnecessary suffering for him and that got in the way of his gifts and actually led to his early death and so you know i guess seeing my dad essentially you know he got behind the wheel of a car under the influence killed him and his best friend and seeing that happen i felt like he chose suffering and it just you know it was sad to me that he had all these gifts to give and then just died early yeah and so i you know i think there's there's a fine line. I'm not saying let's not suffer. Let's not feel our suffering. When suffering happens, I'm not saying let's push it away, but I don't know if we have to actively seek it out, actively seek out self-destructive behaviors, actively do things that, that hurt us for the sake of a story.
0: Yeah. I feel like, especially in the art world, there's so much, you know, you've got to be a starving artist or you've got to, you know, really put your blood, sweat, and tears into these things you create. And of course you, you want to be working hard on those things too, but it's the inspiration doesn't have to come from that.
1: Yeah. And you know, sometimes it it can or sometimes it can come from joy. And I I also say in the book, we're afraid to use our lose our suffering because we're afraid to lose our excuses. And so often I see suffering as just another form of excuse, another form of resistance to like doing the actual you know, deeper work, whether that's like, oh, I'm going to keep buying into these stories that I'm not good enough or worthy, because that means I don't have to step up and be courageous and try something and be brave. Because if I just believe that I can keep playing that over and over. And so, you know, of course, if, if you're suffering, feel the suffering and be willing and be courageous to move beyond it.
0: I just wanted to take a quick break from this conversation to tell you about the sponsor of this week's episode of Sounds Good, Hover. Hover is the company that makes it easy to buy a domain name for your big idea. I have personally been using Hover for, oh my gosh, I guess years. Yeah. And honestly, I use them every single time I buy a domain name and it's actually a lot, maybe too much I don't know if I'm allowed to say that in the ad, but I buy a lot of domain names. And the reason is because any time that I have a new idea, which is pretty often, I check and see which domain names are available for me to bring this thing to life. I did that when I launched Good 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 and The Good Newspaper, as well as plenty of other ideas that haven't quite seen the light of day yet. And sometimes I also just go on and I search around and look for a domain name that's fun. And sometimes I also just go on, I search around and look for a domain name that's fun, even if I don't know what I'm going to do with it yet. That's how I ended up with Enneagram7.com. Yes, if you know what the Enneagram is, of course I own Enneagram7.com. And I also, I just bought EmpathyForPresident.com. Not sure what the game plan is yet, but I have no doubt we'll be able to find something in the next few years. If you have an idea you care about or you just want to pick up a domain name for something fun, Hover is the best way to go. There's no upsells. The website is clean and simple, and they're the best in class when it comes to customer support. For listeners of Sounds Good, Hover is offering 10% off your first purchase when you visit hover.com soundsgood. Go to hover.com soundsgood today to save 10% on your domain name and to help support this podcast. Hover making it easy to bring your passions and ideas to life. Okay, now back to the rest of this conversation. Your book, I mentioned this earlier, but it's, it's really vulnerable. And it, it, it seems like you're sharing a lot of things that you haven't shared before. And I would imagine you've got, you know, when you're writing things down, you're probably processing through like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen when this person <laughs> reads it? What were, oh, man. what were some of the most difficult things to include in this book?
1: The writing process was so hard because oh. the editor in my head was like, you cannot say that. You probably you had to tell yourself, this isn't this. going
0: in. I just got to <laughs> write it down.
1: Well, that, that, and that's, I actually, I went to this workshop with Cheryl Strayed and she said, there's the book you write and there's the book you publish.
0: Uh. And that really
1: liberated me because I was like, this is just the book I'm writing but not publishing. <laughs> like that, because I, I, like my perfectionist, her name's Grace and she's this, Thirty-something British woman. I've created a whole character around her and in so, your head, in my head. So it's like hello, embrace. I want everything in a very neat and tidy box. And Amber, you dare not say that because you might upset and ruffle people's feathers. And we are not allowed to do that because you need, must be a good girl. <laughs> 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 so, but you, you know, I talk about this moment when I nearly, you know, I felt this impulse to cheat on Farhad, and I felt this like intense sexual attraction to someone else which I had never experienced before and it brought up all these questions and brought up all these feelings of guilt and like I was doing something wrong and I was a horrible partner and we weren't meant to be together and and um, I really go into deep deep vivid detail about my experience around that and I even say in the book instead of sleeping with him I slept on it. And you know, really paused and exited myself from that situation, and then you know what happened—the aftermath of that—because I felt like I needed to be really honest with Farhad and tell him all the feelings that came up for me, and. You know, that some of the doubts it was bringing up in our relationship, which was like one of the hardest conversations ever because he froze, broke down, cried. It was like we were like hysterical together, it really shut me out. And it happened to be when we, he was like, he flew to England um, oh. and we met there to meet my family. So it was like all going down while he's beating part of my family. And so my mom's involved. My mom's like, what's going on? And she's like, <laughs> it was it was so Man. intense. And so, you know, the at first it was the experiencing of it. And, you know, what we ultimately realized is that we were avoiding some hard conversations in our relationship.
0: Mm. And
1: that sort of avoidance, we were just like, not really going there with each other, yeah. and acting like everything was okay when it wasn't okay, and acting like we were great when some things weren't great. And so I think we both realized that we were positivity, sil- silver lining Like <laughs> We were both like Labradors, you have, like, like.
0: <laughs> my favorite smiles in the world. But I can fully picture that.
1: And so it was, you know, going into those conversations was really hard for us, and we didn't know how to do it. But you know, that interaction with that other guy really opened the door for us to go deeper. And so first it was like experiencing it and then like meeting with, you know, different therapists and talking to people about it. And I remember um, something Esther Perel said, which was like, your first relationship is over. Do you want a new one? Hmm. When I heard that I was like, oh yeah, our first relationship has ended the relationship of pretending everything's okay when it's not. And do we want a new one? Are we willing to face the hard things together as a couple?"
0: Do you feel like that first relationship was necessary or if you had met in a healthier place, you could have skipped that first relationship and gone straight to the second relationship?
1: I think it was necessary. I don't even think we knew we were avoiding things yeah. until some of the like symptoms and side effects like yeah. you know, showed up. And you know, it was so easy for both of us to be like busy, busy, busy in work and use that as an excuse for like, totally. hey, this isn't working. Or like I, I noticed that we both like Him and I actually are similar in a lot of ways where it's like, oh, let's not face the conflict, you know, (laughs) (laughs) everything's great. Totally. And so, um, it really, I feel like it was necessary because it, it, I feel like the, our first relationship was this beautiful, safe cocoon of true, pure love. And so it was like, almost like we didn't want to mess up the cocoon. Yeah. We didn't want to shake or rock the boat because it was so good. Yeah. Um, but you know. Then it was like, all right, we got to rock, rock the boat. And we, I feel like we rocked the boat for like a year
0: where mm. it was like
1: constant rocking, constant really? hard conversations, constant, like, it was just like, woo
0: Was it feeling good as you were doing it or you just knew that there was going to be good on the other side? Um, or neither. I'm, I'm making
1: this face right now. Where <laughs> you can <see> like, <laughs> it's a great face. It's like you
0: just <laughs> bit, bit into a lemon.
1: <laughs> I mean, it was, I didn't know what the was on the other side. Yeah. There were moments where we were both like, you know, deep tears. Like, I remember him saying at one point, like, well, then why do you even want to be with me? Mm. And it was like, there were hard conversations. And so I felt like I was in the, like in a boat and it was pouring and I was in the middle of the lake and I couldn't see the other side. And so I think the hard part for me was just staying there and knowing it was okay. Okay. Like it's okay to be here. It's okay that it's pouring. It's okay that the boat is shaking. It's okay that him and I are not on the same page currently. It's okay. And allowing it to not be okay was okay. You know, was okay. Yeah. That was that was I think the biggest lesson for both of us. It's okay to not be okay right now. Mm-hmm. And then you know I feel like there was a moment where there was a break. There was an opening where um, and I, I can't even really pinpoint it. I felt like it was like a slow like slowly climbing up this wall up this mountain or something and um, and then we both were like something opened up
0: hmm that's suddenly amazing. the Sun
1: came out a little bit good and we were able to see the sunshine and be like okay we can do this we yeah. can go there together uh,
0: that's so good <laughs> I really like you guys too you you two together
1: mm. yeah me too me too and now it's like I feel like we're able to navigate conflict challenges yeah. like because, you know, we were both like triggering each other.
0: Totally. And
1: then it was like we were in a triggered state and now we can notice the trigger. Yeah. And be like, okay, we have a, a fresh sour cherry. So like if we're like getting into our head or our ego is taking over, we'll be like sour cherry. Let's talk about this. What was the trigger? What happened? Let's get mm. curious. Is this a safe space for us to talk about this?
0: That's interesting. And is the answer sometimes no, that it's not yeah. a safe space? Yeah.
1: Sometimes it's like, no, I need space.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That makes sense. And so you can kind of like address it later. Mm. I feel like when Sammy and I have conflicts, and we've we've had to work so hard in the last year, I mean two years of marriage, to choose to have conflict because Mm -hmm. we naturally, just based off of kind of our personalities, she naturally avoids conflict and I naturally avoid pain. And so Mm. if I know that conflict is something that she doesn't like, then that brings me pain because she's experiencing that. And she doesn't, you know, like it just creates this whole cyclical thing. But we've learned that when we both choose to dive into uh, conflict, it's definitely difficult in the moment. And sometimes it's difficult for, you know, not just the hour long conversation, but, you know, a few days or a few weeks. But on the other side of that, it's always so good and so intimate and connective. And I think that's actually been one of the biggest ways I've learned this lesson of of tapping into my true emotions mm-hmm. and not just riding this happy high all the time.
1: Totally. Yes, can relate to all of that.
0: In your book, you, you talked about addiction and you talked about kind of struggles you've had in the past. And you talked about, what was it, Adderall? Yeah. And it's interesting because you bring up Adderall and all of a sudden I start thinking about like addictions that I have that are, that are much... Like they're not necessarily drugs where it's just like, oh, I turn towards uh travel sometimes mm. to fill this exact same void, or I turn towards, you know, social media yeah. or or work or like donuts, you know, whatever it is. It's just like <laughs> the things that yeah. that bring me joy that I can kind of collect these experiences and and ride them as a high to ignore the other things going on in my life. It was really interesting how like diving into your book, you know, diving into that part of your story, it brought up things in my own life. And Mm. it was very relatable, even though, you know, I've never probably had Adderall in my life.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear that because that was my intention. It was like, I wanted to talk about addiction as a way of like how we escape or hide. Yeah. And, you know, for me, someone asked me at one point in an interview, so were you a drug addict? And I was like, I don't know if that's a label I would use on myself. It's not a
0: great phrase.
1: (laughs) I was like, but I was definitely addicted to Adderall for a period of time. Where I was, you know, in this, it was like, I remember this moment. I was in this anatomy and phys class in college. And this girl next to me suddenly had this pep in her step. And she's like, oh yeah, Adderall, I can connect you with my psychiatrist. And she like gave me one to try. And all of a sudden, like... My energy levels were through the roof. I was performing better. I was getting better grades. Um, It made me thinner. I had this story that if I was thin, men would love me. And so it really fed into a lot of my insecurities, but really masked them. Yeah. And so it became this like secret drug of mine where I thought I could do more and look better and like get more validation and attention. Yeah. Just from
0: taking a drug. Just from taking Adderall. And it's like an upper you know it's not something where it's like oh i'm going and escaping to like hide in my house and do this drug it's like i get to go be more in the world because of this be
1: more of me i thought yeah but you know it ended up making me a lot less of me and it like led to a scary moment where i had this seizure outside of my college apartment and like woke up alone and it was like there were some terrifying terrifying side effects and so but it was because I was hiding and avoiding so many things and not looking at my insecurities and it was like I was like I was popping a pill but I was like popping approval Hmm. is what I was really looking for. And so, you know, I the reason I wanted to talk about addiction because I almost didn't put that in the book. I was like, oh my God, people are going to judge me. Yeah,
0: that's a, that's <laughs> a, that's a really tough choice because yeah. you've already been so vulnerable. Like nobody would have known if you didn't include that in there.
1: Yeah, but I think, you know, when we don't talk about our addictions, whether it's Adderall or sugar or social media or travel or whatever it is that we do to escape, um, when we, A, we're not aware of that of our, ourselves, but B, we don't have a safe space to talk about it, then we can't move through that. Yeah, And so that's why the, the chapter felt so important to me, because I feel like we're actually more addicted as a society than ever before. It's just not things that we would normally label as addiction.
0: Well, and that's the interesting thing about Adderall. I don't know if you watched that Netflix documentary on it. Isn't that wild? I, do you remember the name?
1: Um, I can't remember no. the name.
0: You can Google it. <laughs> um, but it's really fascinating. And I, I I think everybody has to watch the whole thing, because the first half, you're like, you know what, I, I think I'm going to take, like, I was like watching. I'm like, I think I need Adderall. I think this would really <laughs> help me out. And then you get to the second yeah. half and you're like, oh man, like all these kids are taking it. All these yeah. adults in like business situations are taking this. And here are the side effects and here's the problems. And here's how, uh, you know, you've got like 17 year olds who are saying like, I'm going to like wean myself off of this. I'm going to yeah. like break this addiction because it's, it's messing with me in all these ways. Oh, it
1: was, yeah, it it got, really bad for me, like where I couldn't feel emotions anymore. Wow. I felt like a robot. I became so thin at one point that it was a little borderline scary. Um My heart was racing. I couldn't sleep. Um It created a lot of anxiety. And then coming off of it was like, you know, gained a bunch of weight. My body didn't know how. I couldn't find motivation. I didn't know who I was. It brought up all these questions. And it was like a, a really interesting transition period. Hmm. But, you know, it's, it's so interesting, like in reflection now that because I'm doing things that I love and that energize me, I have more energy and motivation and focus Ooh, that's than good. I ever had on this drug. And so I think like, you know, that's the thing is that the way our society is designed, like why are these kids being, you know, given a prescription? It's like one chemical away from meth, you know? And it's just, it's, we're, we're giving them a drug that like make that brings them up because they can't sit still because they're in a classroom that is like not designed for children. Yeah. And so, you know, I think so much of how our society is designed is it's not uh, enabling us to pursue and find out what we're truly curious about, where that wonder is leading us and what our actual gifts are. And so we're, yeah, we're literally socializing the wonder out of
0: our society. And when you come out of that high, you still have all of the same problems you've been ignoring. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's best to just start dealing with it. But I mean, we were talking about this before we started recording. It's just not easy. And Mm -hmm. it's in some ways, you know, I'm so glad your book is called wonder over worry and not like, decide to feel all the feelings you want to ignore because like <laughs> nobody wants a homework assignment. But yeah. You do such a good job in this book of, of guiding people through the process and just, just like you did just now, like sharing the benefits of doing this mm. and not just like it's wrong if you do that. Like it's no, just yeah. like, here's the open door. Here's the opportunity. Here's, here's what's in front of you because I've been there and, and I've gone through this journey and I'm still going through this journey.
1: Yeah. And it's, you know, when we face the hard things It's freedoms on the other side. Mm. And, you know, that's what I always have to remember because I'm like, I don't know. Like, I don't want to do that thing. I don't want to (laughs) look at it. But it's like I know that alignment, truth, and freedom and expansion are closely nearby.
0: Another thing you talked about in the book was just this idea of if it's not an act of love, Mm. why even take this action? Tell me a little bit more about that because I really connected with that idea because I feel like all day long and get asked to do things that aren't acts of
1: love. Yeah. So I, when I was in this phase of, of hustling for approval and thinking that I had to do something to be worthier enough, I met this woman named Glenda and well, that's her name in the book. Um, because I I changed everyone's Secret name. Anyway, secret name. Except for Farhad. Except for Farhad, yeah. So I met this woman, and she just like danced into my life at this perfect moment. It was so random and synchronistic. I was at this cafe. She came in with this dress that looked like a Picasso painting. (laughs) And she like was early, and I just stopped her and told her, wow, I like feel your energy. And so she ended up sitting down for a bit. And she like goes into this whole story about how she, you know, for most of her life, was trying to prove to everyone that she was enough and like went to law school and became a successful lawyer and did all the things. And then one day was like, wait, this is all a game. Like this is all a game. And actually no one's actually paying attention to me. Mm. Um, and so who am I and how do I want to live? And so she went on to become like a successful jewelry designer and fashion designer. And she like literally like had did Broadway shows and like did everything. And just was like, oh, I'm just going to pursue and do things that are acts of love and trust that everything, you know, comes and happens from there. And, and I do want to name that like there is privilege to this. Yeah. Because, you know, I I feel like I can approach my life as doing what is an act of love because I have the safety net to be able to do that. I have, you know, there's an amount of savings. There's, you know, I've built a career. And yeah. so at this point, I have the ability to only do things that feel expansive and as if I can wholeheartedly choose to do it.
0: Like along those lines of, of privilege, what would you say to people who are saying, that's, you know, it's just not an option for me. I'm just, I'm just scraping by. I'm trying to pay rent, but I dream of being able to just do things that are an act of love. Like how do you bridge that gap? And, and is it possible for everybody to bridge that gap?
1: Yeah. I feel like, you know, an act of love can be the way you approach your responsibilities. It can be, you know, these are the things that I need to do in order to provide for myself and my family and everything I do outside of that is going to be something that fuels me, fuels those around me. You know, and I've heard so many, like, even like Farhad's family, they fled the Iran-Iraq war. They, you know, moved to um, California. They lived in this, like, very tiny garage that they called the tiny palace. (laughs) And, like, in his mom, like, her approach, she's just pure love. And she was like, I just knew that the move was pure love. I knew that the way I would show up and be and interact with people. And I just like, for her, she was just like, everything for me is pure love. And she's out like telling people poems of Rumi. And, you know, and they had absolutely nothing, you know. And I feel like, you know, Farhad ended up then, because she was a nanny to some of the wealthy kids, Farhad ended up being a... He called, you know, he's called himself like a, a a poor kid who lived like five blocks from Steve Jobs.
0: <laughs>
1: and he like really approached his life as I'm going to, you know, really go for it. Like he knew the he needed to like, you know, he started working, he was 13 in Stanford Food Services because he was helping provide for the family. Oh, wow. But still like this act of love. So I think, the, you know, our way of being can be love and and what we approach and just knowing, you know, what our responsibilities are and, and the space we create outside of that.
0: And I feel like it opens doors. I don't think it always opens the doors we expect and it doesn't necessarily open doors to money or to, you know, to to power or anything like that, but it opens doors to maybe almost relationships. Mm-hmm. I feel like in connection. Maybe that's a better a better word for it is. I think it's it's interesting how when you open yourself up to creating acts of love around you, that you're also opening yourself up to who the people are around you oh, and totally. what their needs are and how you can fill them. And um, and then maybe even what your own needs are in the mm-hmm. process.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. Man. And I, I want to I go back to like yeah. the acts of love and the privilege piece, because I, I love what you're alluding to there. Like, actually, it doesn't cost anything to be love. Yeah. To be love to yourself, to be love to other people. Like, that is the ultimate, like, act of love. Yeah. And that doesn't have, you know, it doesn't take away from anything. It doesn't actually take much time. It's just who we're being. And I think if we be love, then, as you said, it opens doors. Yeah. It, like opportunities like I think of Farhad who like was this curious kid and then ended up like getting Ben and like the guys who created Ben and Jerry's as a mentor Whoa! because he like like forced his way into like a a (laughs) Stanford classroom like even though he wasn't attending and like I don't know but I I think it's just yeah it's a way of being that we can always choose to embody
0: and it's not an easy choice it's not necessarily like oh just choose love it's like no you have to choose love That's so good. What are you excited about right now?
1: Hmm. I'm excited that I'm going to the spa this afternoon. Good. (laughs) Because I have been going going nonstop. Like, I'm like, I have no concept of what a weekend is anymore because I've had so many events on weekends, media all day. Like today is actually, this afternoon is one of my first afternoons to like really like chill.
0: I'm so glad you're protecting that time too. Like I was like, what do you want to hang out? And you're like, not during spa time. (laughs) (laughs) So,
1: yeah, I'm excited for a chance to really just like relax and soak it in. And actually, my friend Preston Smiles, he was at the event in LA and and he raised his hand and he was like when it was the audience Q&A part and he was like, how are you or have you celebrated yet? And I was like, mm. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. And, you know, and then he had everyone cheer me on. And it was like this really beautiful moment of of really soaking it in. Because when you, you know, I put my heart and soul and everything into this book and then it comes out and then I'm promoting it. And, you know, how have I really had a chance to soak it up and sink into like this lifelong dream coming true. And the biggest, the dream that had the, the most amount of anxiety and fear around it. And um, so I actually, I, I then was like, okay, well, how do I really want to celebrate? And I knew I was taking August off because I haven't had a vacation in over a year. And I was like, I want to take August off. Yeah. And I was like, I want to go to Bali. I want to go to Bali. But I was like, that's not realistic because you have to go to da da, you know, all the worry voices. And then I was like, okay, I'm opening myself to clues. And then all of a sudden all the clues around Bali kept showing up. So I was like, let me just go look at my delta miles. And I looked and I realized I had enough miles for a business class round trip ticket to, to Bali. Whoa. So I booked that and I'm excited to go to Bali and really like soak up what's happened over the last year. And also to like, you know, I'd hate to jump to what's next
0: yeah, before
1: really creating the space to like anchor into what's happened. And it'd
0: be easy to do that yeah. too. It'd
1: be so easy to be like, oh, this is the next thing. So I, I'm going there to really like settle and feel everything that's happened.
0: Well, you deserve it. And you work worked so hard and your book is beautiful and I love it. And I haven't told you this yet, but like I have only listened to the audiobook so far, and it's so good. But I, like, flip through the book, and it's just, like, beautiful to look at. And I'm excited to read it again.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know the Wonderventions aren't in the audio, but I think they came with Wait, it.
0: what are the Wonderventions?
1: Okay, so, like, at the end of every... <laughs> at the end of every like so you meet shame and then at the end there's a wondervention to like which is an oh. exercise to like dive deeper into there's it. a
0: journaling exercise in the audiobook yeah
1: there's it's i different those are different okay so there's in the book there's the journaling and the wondervention oh i'm so I hope excited that they like gave if there was supposed to be a pdf that came along with
0: i'm it. sure it did okay yeah
1: yeah so uh, anyway all those fun worksheets <laughs>
0: it's so good you've done a great job i'm just so i'm i'm so excited for you and i've been just loving seeing people um love the book as well so thank you so good well i'll see you uh i'll see you next week in nashville
1: all right sounds (laughs) good can't wait
0: oh perfect is there anything else you wanted to talk about that we didn't talk about
1: there's one more thing coming up one thing i've been thinking a lot about is years ago el luna when I was wanting to write my book or just I was creating art, she was a huge catalyst for me in art. Um, her and I did The Artist's Way together and it was so profound, the journey we went on together. And I remember asking her for like feedback or advice and she said something along the lines of like, what could you create that would heal your own toothache? And she had borrowed that from Picasso. Because Picasso claimed, so like this actually ties in the suffering piece too. You know, Picasso said that everything he did was to like heal his own toothache or how do you create things? And I just love to believe that our, our mess can be our message hmm. and our ache can be a place to enter and create from. And so I know for a long time, I was so focused on creating things to help other people. And I, where I feel like Elle really inspired me to go was to create things that would help me and heal me. And, um... To dive into my own ache and to create yeah. from that place. And I, that's, I feel like, where some of my most powerful writing has come from, whether it was like revisiting old relationships or my dad dying or wherever the ache was or, you know, just the anxiety, the worry, not feeling good enough. When I used those emotions as fuel for what I created, I created, I feel like, work that was even more resonant with the people that I aimed to help. Yeah, And so I think what I would encourage just as a a takeaway is to, you know, it's beautiful that we want to support, guide, catalyze, help others. And what does it look like to really help you? Or what is the ache that you have and can create from?
0: I love this idea that Amber wholeheartedly believes in, that our emotions are messengers. Sometimes they're really loud and disruptive, but They're trying to teach us something. If we push them away, then we deny ourselves the opportunity to embrace all of who we are. We must learn to befriend our emotions and lean into the lessons that they bring. I'm so challenged by Amber's work and her message that the way we speak to ourselves matters. With that being said, if you haven't already, please purchase and read Amber's book, Choose Wonder Over Worry. It's powerful practical and honest. It's the boldest kind of invitation you'll ever receive to be your truest self. And the cover is really pretty. I was telling Amber, I just like seeing it on my Instagram feed when my friends are posting it. It's really, really fun. (laughs) Amber is currently on tour for her book. And if you're listening to this episode, kind of around the time it comes out and you live in Nashville, Amber is coming to Parnassus Books on Saturday, June 16th from 2pm to 4pm and I'll have the privilege of interviewing her in front of, you know, y'all, this crowd of people who are showing up. And I'm really excited about it. There'll be lots of truth telling, raw stories, and a chance to ask Amber questions about the book or whatever you want to ask her questions about. Come say hi, come hang out with us. It'll be really fun. If you're new to Sounds Good, we would love for you to stick around, listen to a few more episodes. If you liked this episode in particular, you'd also love my past conversation with British visual artist, Chantelle Martin. She is so good. I love her work so much. And she embodies so many of these same ideas that Amber Ray believes in. You can find that episode and more than 100 other episodes by searching for Sounds Good wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast was created by me, Brandon Harvey, as a part of Good, 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 a community that believes in the power of celebrating good news and becoming good news. Chad Michaels-Navely and the team at CM Studio Edit mix the show. And Christy Karen Brock offers production support. You can get lots of hopeful stories on social media by following us everywhere at goodgoodgoodco. And we're about to cross the 10,000 follower mark on Instagram. And I'm so excited about this. Not because that number means anything, but... Because we decided a few months ago that when we hit 10,000 followers, we're going to offer a really fun deal for every single one of our followers. So you're going to want to follow us at good, 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 C-O, good, 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 co on Instagram. And in just probably a week or two, I bet that we're going to have a fun surprise for y'all. And if you don't already know, we also, in addition to making this podcast and sharing things on social media, we create a beautiful quarterly newspaper that celebrates the people, ideas, and movements that are shaping the world for the better. And it's a real life newspaper. It's very funny to be making in 2018 and it's available today. You can order it online at goodgoodgood.co. And on that note, that is a wrap for this week's episode. I can't think of a more important charge at the end of this episode than to go out and choose wonder. The empowering voice that's urging us to be who we are and pursue what matters most. Sound good?